Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. <laughs> a murdered teacher, a country setting, a policewoman with a past. Sarah Bailey's The Dark Lake is a multi-layered story of intrigue. So, Sarah, welcome to 3CR. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Now, your character here is a rather flawed one, Detective Sergeant Gemma Woodstock, more so than a lot of other sort of protagonists in this genre. Um, psychologically... Um, I'll be in the middle of doing something and then my mind wanders to her and the little ball ricochets through my head and I stop talking in the middle of a sentence or I forget to press the accelerator when the lights are green. Physically, and this is the one that got me, I stand in the shower with my head against the wall as blood oozes out of me. She's also having an affair. She's ambivalent (laughs) about her living partner by whom she has a son. And she's very closely associated with the murder victim, Rosalind. What can you tell us about Gemma? It's all a bit of a mess, really, isn't it? <laughs> well, it's intriguing, um, the, that psychological aspect. Mm. How were you able to get into the mind of that character and her um, thinking? I, I don't know, to be honest. Um, it, when I was, uh, I guess, pulling together the, the concept for this book, Gemma was actually what I started with. So um, I, really, I really liked the idea of a police detective who is obviously ultimately good, or, you, or you'd hope so, um, being thrown into a case where she had a relationship with the victim and therefore immediately you sort of start to question her ability to work that case properly. Um, and she's also has a, a pretty complicated personal life uh, to keep well, it quite going mild. Well, you go detail in some ways. I found in many ways when I read that line fairly early on about her physical condition and Mm. you've got to work out what happens which you discover later on it's not a wound etc um it's very personal yes yeah Uh, and we're not used to reading that um no I, i think for me it was really important that um her voice is basically the the driver of the story so i felt like it was really important right from the get-go that you were in her head and in in the case with her. So um, as you alluded to before, the the prologue really kicks it off. Um, You you know that something's happened. The prologue happens after the book is set. Um, So you sort of know something's happened, not really what's happened. You know that she's quite scarred by something that's happened. Um, And then straight away you sort of thrust into the actual present um, tense and the present time with her voice being the, the predominant one that you're led along with. Um, and so I felt like it was really important that you have um, empathy for what's going on in her world. Mm. But we don't often read about uh, such close physical detail in many uh, books of this genre, so to speak. True. And as a male reader, I don't know how it is for female readers, mm. I, I was sort of, oh, uh, taken aback a yes, little. Yes, I think my dad's still recovering also. Um <laughs> But I think I think with TV um, that's changed a little bit. So um, I've got a real sort of point of view on on the the latest the golden age of TV that we kind of feel like we're all in now. Um, not sure if it's actually a lot better than it used to be, but it's certainly more prolific than it used to be. And I think that um, 
men and women now are, I think, a lot more exposed to each other's circumstances and you're really intimate in those TV series. I think you're really with characters in, in a lot of those shows and I think that um, I was watching a lot of shows around the time that this idea and plot and all of the books sort of came to me and I definitely think I was inspired by a lot of a lot of those types of um, narratives mm. and, the, and the proximity that you have with the characters as well. Now, I mean... A moral character, and yet she's conducting mm-hmm. an affair. Yep. She has a partner. She has a son and an affair. Mm-hmm. Um, a moral character? No, and I think that's the most interesting thing. So, um, a, a lot of the feedback I got about the book early on was character based, um, and I'm positive feedback. But also, that seems to be the most um, polarizing part of the book. So I'm very um, clear myself that the the story arc, the actual mystery in the book, is important to drive it forward. But I think that Gemma, as a character study, is is probably the the most interesting thing about it. Well, the character study because her character is actually involved, shall we say, with this particular murder. Yes, uh, which makes it interesting because. Um, we have Rosalind, who is the dead teacher. Um, and we come across Rosalind fairly early. Connor notices something caught along the water's edge. It appears to be made of some kind of material. He squints and realises he is looking at hair swirling swirling out past a line of reeds. His feet locked to the ground. It looks like human hair, a woman's hair. His heartbeat picks up again. His limbs feel missing. Two steps confirm it is indeed a woman's face down in the lake, her golden hair fanning out around her. Bare white arms are visible every time the water ripples, and what looks like red roses bob across the top of her watery grave. Now, Rosalind has returned to live in her hometown, but she's also got a dubious past as well. Yeah, they're both, um, they're similar in some ways, um, very different in others. And Rosalind is an interesting character, I suppose, because you never meet her. It's really all hearsay. Um, There's a little bit of her in some of the um, flashbacks scenes, which was 10 years previously. So you you get a bit of a glimpse of her from back then, Um, but she's... You know, she's quite mysterious. That comes up quite a lot in the book. Well, there are doubts about um, the reasons why she left her previous school mm-hmm. and why she's leaving this school. Yes, and, I th- you know, victim blaming is a really common um, theme to explore these days and I, I personally find it really interesting and I think it's an example of that where she's been murdered so clearly that's that's not good. Something Someone else has done something awful to her but there is still this doubt and rumour and speculation and gossip from the town about what she may or may not have done to have that be what's happened to her. But also the rumour and gossip and suspicion extends to her parentage. Yes, correct. Yeah, there's lots of, um, for quite a small town, it's, <laughs> there's quite a lot going on. There's lots of secrets, um, which I don't think is unrealistic, um, but it's certainly um, all happening in that, in that one period of three weeks just before Christmas in the book. <laughs> but that also then gets us to this notion of a small country town, so to speak, Smithson, a little oasis of greenery in the middle of endless fawn-coloured acres of Aussie farmland. I mean, what does the isolation then add 
to the suspense and the mystery. Yeah, it's really important, actually. So for me, it's it's a completely fictional town, but there's certainly a few real places that I took inspiration from. Um, and I think one of the main themes in the book, from my perspective, is the feeling of being quite trapped. And I think that the idea of being in a small country town and Gemma having never left that town, so it's really the only world she's ever known, despite being a police detective who is sort of expected to be quite worldly, I think that puts her at a bit of a disadvantage. She certainly feels it puts her at a disadvantage. Um, and the the geography of that um, town and the fact that it's all she's ever seen and known I think does feel very claustrophobic and at certain points in the book um, that's really sort of brought to the fore um, but to some extent all of the characters in the book are a little bit trapped by circumstance and I think that's that's sort of explored in different ways. And Gemma would also be trapped by being a woman, a, a mother, a, a, mother, yep. a high achieving police officer so mm. there's rivalry within the sort of uh, squad that, that she's in, etc. cetera. Yeah. So it's, it's quite a lot to, to juggle and handle is, there. Yeah. Um, another uh, layer, so to speak, your awareness of police procedure. You weren't ever in trouble in your <laughs> earlier life, were you? No, I, I wasn't. And um, I've taken quite a lot of creative licence, if I'm honest, with some of it. But it was important for me to not... I, I wasn't writing a forensic um, novel. It's not a P- Patricia Cornwall book. Um, and I didn't want that to get in the way of the narrative moving forward in the way I needed it to. So I, I would say that I've um, injected the appropriate amount of reality um, with a little bit of uh, borrowed uh, imagination. A borrowed licence, poetic <laughs> yeah, licence. Yeah. But there was one particular scene uh, that caught my eye. There, um, Gemma and Felix, her uh, partner, um, police partner, uh, are interviewing Rodney. Uh, what did you really think of Ms Ryan, Rodney? Rodney scratches at his wrist and looks at Felix carefully. She was nice, a good teacher, just nice. His dark eyes looked briefly my way and then back to Felix. I swatted a mosquito, blood smears across my arm. I like being in her class. She was sort of different, I guess, like sometimes it didn't seem like we were at school. What do you mean? Because it was fun. Yeah, I guess she sort of made everything seem more important or something. I don't know. Probably sounds stupid. Not at all. Drama is a kind of subject that needs someone with a bit of imagination, right? Felix says. Yeah, everyone wanted to be in her class. She was really good. She So she's gone from nice to really good then. The probing uh, there and sort of asking questions without giving away mm. um, what they're really after. Yeah. How were you able to imagine that? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the interview scenes, um, I didn't want them to become too clinical and too... Um, staged I suppose so it was important that they were also part of the story so a lot of them don't happen in the police station which I think was a good way of sort of making it feel like you were getting more of the character and the surroundings and possibly their home or their um, family members also being present so it was just a good way to, to sort of tell a bit more of the story without it being too overt well it's a bit like um a radio interview we're asking <laughs> <A bit>. <laughs> questions hoping the author will reveal a bit more about themselves we don't mm. want to give anything away but another stylistic element is yeah. you change narrator periodically i do it's all, all over the place isn't it well i wouldn't, um, I wouldn't <laughs> say that but why have you done that um so a few reasons i think Gemma's voice is is certainly um 
critical and it's the thread that holds the whole thing together. But there is a little bit of distrust. She's not exactly what I would describe as an unreliable narrator in the you know, gone girl kind of Mm. um, ilk, but she certainly isn't 100% trustworthy. So I think there was was two specific reasons to sort of switch it up. One was um, to give you an insight into what did happen 10 years ago because that becomes increasingly important to what's happening now. So to do that, you do go back um, to her voice from 10 years ago, which is set in a different tense. That just sort of breaks it up a little bit. Uh, You also hear from uh, her ex-boyfriend as well, which what he was thinking is a big mystery to Gemma. So getting in his head and having that insight as a reader was, you know, a really good way to drive the story forward. And then there's also a bit of a Greek chorus treatment, which every now and then there's a a perspective from one of the townsfolk. And that was deliberate to make sure that you got more information about Gemma because sometimes they comment on her and so you sort of get to see how other people actually see her Um, and then there's also um, the ability to see things that she can't see because she's physically not there. But also it adds this suspicion or doubt about Gemma's ability to conduct the investigation. Absolutely. We're absolutely running out of time, but um, (laughs) there are further complications when Mm. Gemma becomes a victim herself in many ways. There are flowers left on her doorstep and her son is abducted yes. uh, at one stage. Naturally enough, this makes her quite hysterical. Yes. But also uh, her involvement with Rosaline mm. from 10 years previously when mm. they were both students at the same school yes. adds further complication. This is true, yes. Her um, role is, is generally quite um, complicated in, in the book in terms of is she the hero, is she actually to blame um, what was exactly... Was she in any way implicated in Rosalind's uh, demise, shall we say? That's right. What suspicion can we throw her way? I'm afraid we're going to have to end the interview. Ewan's got an interesting guest, and so we've got to allow time for that. But the book is The Dark Lake by Sarah Bailey. It's an Allen and Unwin publication, and I believe the rights have been picked up in America and yeah, overseas. Yeah, it's going to be in the US in October and then I think the UK and China in the new year. And you've got a sequel underway yes, already. Yes, uh, yeah, I've got, got a lot to do in the next couple of months when the draft's due. So, yeah, so coming along. there's another murder <laughs> in store. There's definitely another murder in store, yeah. Ewan, over to you, sir. Thank you. That was amazing. Yeah, it's what a good thing to be able to always have another murder in store. Well, today uh, we have Australia's most published author with us. And he has over 300 books to his credit, many of them award winners. But, oh, I just got the signal then, over 400 now and counting. So if anyone knows of uh, someone who's had more published books, please let us know. But we're not actually here to talk about Nicholas Brash's books this morning. It's another amazing project that he's spearheaded with Astrid Edwards called The Garrett. Welcome to 3CR's Published or Not, Nick. Thank you very much, Ewan. Great to see you. Thanks for inviting me in. Uh, My pleasure. Now, first of all, just please describe what is The Garrett? The Garrett. So The Garrett is a, uh, I guess you could call it a literary podcast, um, uh, in which uh, I interview leading writers on the craft of writing. So we interview, we go for the very top of the field, um, and we explore their their minds, how they go about the craft. We we felt that um, most writers, when they're interviewed, they're either just promoting a book, and so yeah. they talk about the content, or they're on the radio for five minutes. So these are long-form interviews, 
30, 40, 50 minutes, uh, even up to an hour, some of them, um, on the actual craft of writing. And they use their books, obviously, or, or their, their, their works as examples, but it's really exploring the craft of writing. So it's, um, it's aimed at emerging writers and serious readers and people who are interested in the craft of writing rather than just what's your latest book and, and et cetera, et cetera. So really delving into the craft. And how did it all come about? Um, I sort of came about a little bit out of frustration. So apart from writing, I also um, teach writing at Swinburne University, uh, and I've always been looking for... I was looking for content, video content originally, um, of leading writers talking about the craft of writing for my students, and I couldn't find anything, you know, really um, up-to-date uh, and relevant and long-form, and that wasn't just promoting books. There's a, you know, I could find little bits, but I was getting frustrated that there wasn't anything. So I, I just had this idea, and I sat down with Astrid, um, a colleague of mine from Writers Victoria, and um, proposed to her, or to mention to her, I'd love to um, uh, produce some video content with interviewing leading writers, and she thought it was a great idea, but um, she was also in the process of forming a company uh, creating podcasts and she's the one that came up with the idea let's do podcasts instead now at that point uh, I'm, I'm a late adopter to technology let's put it that way <laughs> I had never listened to a podcast I'd, everyone really? was listening to them I'd heard about them I'd, uh, but I'd, I just would walk around listening to my music and, and so that, that was that up was until it. 2016 you hadn't really listened we're, to we're, we're, we're talking we're talking about October 2016 I had never listened to a single <laughs> podcast uh, but I thought, since I'm going to be hosting one of these, I should start listening to them. So I started listening to podcasts. I'm totally, utterly addicted now to the point at which yeah. I've wiped all music off my iPhone oh, um, because all I listen to is podcasts. Uh, and I thought, what a great idea. And it is a good idea because it's so much more accessible than video content. People are just listening to them on the trams and on the trains and everywhere they go. Well, so, and even in your car? You can be in the car, everywhere. Uh, in the shower, wherever. And so it's... Um, Works worked. It was it was an inspiring idea, and it's yeah. taken off. Yeah. yeah. And how have your students immediately responded to it? Do you use the podcast in classes? I have. My students have responded to that to the way they usually respond to me, which is um, take no notice of me whatsoever. Um, <laughs> but other people, but other people have um, <laughs> have certainly taken to it, and I have. So we are. I, look, I tend not to not to use it too much in class because it's, I don't want it to be seen as if it's, I'm promoting it and it's, it's about me. Um, but certainly there are – I mean, one of the aims was to provide the material for free to anybody to, 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 to look at, to watch, to use it as teaching materials. And I've certainly used a couple of them. I used one, um, an interview with Andrew Rule, the journalist, on nonfiction writing, and I've used uh, one on John Marsden on fiction writing. So I, have, I, I use them sparingly. Okay, I'm going to pick up on that uh, idea of John Marsden, mm -hmm. uh, partly to put a devil's advocate question, that occasionally a writer pops up and says, oh, no, you can't teach the talent of writing. Well, with reference to John Marsden, how would you respond to that? Uh, well, John's obviously, John being a great writer, but also a, a, a practitioner and a teacher, uh, and owner of two schools now. Um, two? So, what, so there's a high school now as well. There's okay. a high school as well as a primary school. Right. Uh, and and John is and he's written wonderful writing guides. Um, he's obviously, uh, yes, of course, writing can be. Actually, the, the whole notion of can writing be taught is actually, I'm, I'm chairing a panel at the Emerging Writers Festival on exactly that subject, yeah. can writing be taught. So it has been in my mind lately. Uh, my view is, 
Um, I'm, I'm, I also sort of play devil's advocate, and as a teacher of writing, I've got to say, yes, it can be taught. But I don't know if – my view is you can always teach someone to be a better writer. I don't know if you can teach someone to be published if they're not up to it. Uh, yeah. But I think you can always teach people to be better than they are and to reach their potential, whatever that potential is, depending on the individual. Well, that certainly chimes in with Stephen King's point in on writing mm-hmm. his famous book mm-hmm. from the early noughties, where he said uh, competent writers can be taught to be good writers, but at either extreme there are some people, well, uh, not very good writers, you know, go and do something else. And at the uh, top end, you have geniuses of the calibre of Shakespeare who really don't even understand themselves. But for most of us, it's that competent to good, and that's supported by the craft. So going back to your earlier point about the craft, how many writers so far have told you about their craft? Yeah, no, so all of the ones we interviewed, that's what we we really get into their, their minds. I'm learning some fascinating things. But so there's some very common, um, common things emerge. And number one, when you ask them, how do you become a good writer, almost in invariably they just say read you've got to read and it always amazes me how many people want to be writers and they just don't read Uh, Mm -hmm. and and that seems to be number one the other one is you've actually uh, got to work at it and anyone who has been published will know it is damn hard work it is very hard working in isolation most of the time i mean you can co-write that's right yeah, but it's extraordinary that some people don't realise, well, that's a foundational requirement. You've got to read. <laughs> that's yeah. it. But you have to deal with that with your students to say, encourage them to read, even though they're aspiring to be writers. Um, you, can, you, can, you can lead the horse to water. <laughs> you, can lead the, you can lead the students to the library, but can you make them read? Some yes, some no. That's up to them. Okay. Yeah. Now, you started with local writers, and this is, mm-hmm. uh, was it October 2016, so the first we podcast, launched, so first we, series? Yes, so we do it in seasons, seven episodes a season. So we had the first one was the latter half, latter quarter of 2016. We've, uh, we've already had season two for this year, and season three launches next week. So we started, yes, October 2016. Well, there's quite a bit of season three already online, but... Um, if, if you do the drop-down menu. Oh, right. But uh, <laughs> I believe you're also looking at uh, buttonholing a few international writers at the Melbourne Writers Festival. Is that right? Uh, well, uh, we, we've, we have started interviewing international writers when we came out. So the original, originally the first seven were all Victorian writers, but abs- yeah. John Marsden, uh, Amy Kaufman and Jay Kristoff, um, uh, Kerry Greenwood... Um, uh, Grant Simpson, who wrote The Rosie Project, of course, uh, and then we've extended into Australian writers for season two, and now we're coming into international writers as well. So we launched season three with the English writer Ian Maguire, who wrote that unbelievable novel, The North Water. Um, so he kicks off, he's our first international guest, and yeah. we are now um, basically any major writer that comes to Melbourne, we're trying to grab them and have him publishers give them to us as well so one of the things we want to make sure is a broad range it's not even just book writers so journalists in fact um we've lined up two of australia's absolute top top-notch journalists for season four um we're gonna have script writers songwriters it's, it's the whole craft of writing so it's not just book writing well talking about that breadth then there's another part of the website mm-hmm. the garrett we're talking about with nicholas brash the, the garrett podcast.com uh and the uh, section is industry, 
And top of the list, you've had Michael Hayward, the boss of text publishing. Why have you chosen Michael? Okay, so uh, we also have a bonus episode in between seasons where we interview not just writers, uh, well, deliberately not writers, but people involved in the industry that will have something to say to emerging writers, to our audience of emerging writers and keen readers. And we decided to start with a publisher. And we chose Michael Hayward because of his, I mean, he's a fascinating uh, fascinating man, very, very well read, very th- well, well considered, very well thought, and and leads who the, the company, which is basically, I guess, the number one independent publisher in Australia. Yeah. And he was very generous and willing to share his knowledge and his tips and his information. But um, we don't just want to interview publishers. So the next one, um, next bonus episode, is going to be with um, Mark Rubo uh, from Readings from to Readings. talk about book selling and another genres legend. and all that sort of yeah. another legend. Yeah. And then later on, we're going have a literary agent and right. um, and a self-publishing special as well, which I'll oh, talk to okay. you about later. Be interesting to uh, look out for. <laughs> now, just one final thing, because we're coming up to time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you've arranged the website of the Garrett very nicely, and one of the bars you have across the top is genres. And I looked at that and thought, oh, well, that's a good idea. And I thought, hang on, did you have any trouble categorising some of these writers into genres? Because oh. I might feel as though they're pigeonholed. Yeah, no, well, look, and, and, and a lot of that is a work in progress. So once we've got a number of writers within uh, particular genres we will fill that up so we we invite writers in and then some not all of them will fit within the genre it's obvious genres so uh, crime writers so far we've got kerry greenwood and adrian mckinty so they obviously fit very neatly and nicely into crime and we will keep adding to that the same with ya so uh, not everybody will fit into it um but where the obvious genre categories are, and again, non-fiction will be one of them. So there's Andrew Rule and we'll have journalists, et cetera, et cetera. So we're trying to fit them in there. The other thing about um, one thing we do have on the website, which I think is quite rare and, and a, a bit of a conversation has started in the Twitter sphere, we actually have full transcripts of all of our interviews. So um, people can read it if they if they don't want to or if they can't listen there's certainly available um i had a look at yeah. those transcripts they're yeah. amazingly done do you use software to do that no 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 no, no. We, we, we do it sometimes i use students and give them incentives um astra okay. has done some um yeah. we do it and we get nothing get nothing yeah. for this but we we do it out of out of out of love and out of the desire to um, to get the the words of great writers out into the minds of those who really want to know, we we make the the material available to to anybody, not just through our website, obviously through iTunes, but through the we we give it to the authors themselves to promote on their own websites and the publishers and, and what have you. Uh, and what a great facility because you can use search and find. Uh, where was that bit in the podcast? That's, okay, uh, it's about the middle. I'll go there and find. Yeah. It. Just one final thing on videos. That was one of your earlier points. Yep. What's available on YouTube with authors yep. talking? Often yep. they're on panels and it's very piecemeal. So yep. you're doing it. More more in depth you've got some writers with videos no, how no, do you do. choose them so no well we 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 do uh video so the interviews are all done at the state library of victoria and recorded very on great top quality equipment but we also during the time when i'm interviewing astrid will video parts of the interview and that'll be edited and put online as extra resource material to be shared and promoted and just to be looked at and so that you can actually see in the eyes of the writers as they're talking about how they go about things yeah it's a fantastic yeah. enterprise the garrett backed by the State Library of Victoria, Swinburne University, and Writers Victoria. And readings. And readings. And one well. more partner we've got for season three onwards, the Australian Society of Authors. Oh, so, fantastic. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah, well, yeah. that is absolutely brilliant. So, of course, if you want to find the Garrett, how do you do it? So, well, just through iTunes or any of the other platforms, obviously through the Garrett Podcast.com. Uh, we're on Twitter and Facebook at 
the Garrett. I think. Yeah, Maybe it's the Garrett podcast. I'm not, as I said, I'm not great on technology and social media. That's, that's Astrid's department. Oh, what an amazing enterprise, <laughs> an amazing project. Thank Congratulations you. with it. And we'll look forward to hearing more as Season 3 develops and we get into Season 4 very soon. Yep, now with Season 3 we've got uh, some great, great writers. Sophie Laguna, uh, Christos Chalkas, Ian McGuire, oh, Mia great. Friedman and a number of others. So thank you very much, Ewan. Cheers. Thank you very much, And Nick. we've had a lot of those authors on... Published or not, and at, at times as well. <laughs> We're on the pulse, David. We're on the pulse. I can actually identify with Nick. I'm an analogue thinker in a digital age. But um, <laughs> but Published or Not is also podcast as well. So, yeah. I mean, you and I have got faces that do really well on radio, yeah, and yeah, you can listen true. into us uh, <laughs> on our podcast as well. But, yeah, yeah, all very fascinating, the whole world of writing in the background there. That takes us out for another, another week. And week. you and a farewell, sir. You won't be well, with yeah, us next week. I might be popping in back uh, back here from time to time. Uh, Indeed. When either Jan or I sort of uh, take uh, take a holiday. But that takes us out for this week. We'll see, every, well, see or hear everyone next week. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.